0: Thank you Pastor Mark for that prayer supplication and thank each and every one of you for coming today to share in our time of worship and and, uh, earlier in our Bible study time in Christian growth groups and uh, just thank you so much for your commitment. I encourage you if you have your Bibles to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll continue to look at chapter 8 as we've been following the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we'll be looking specifically beginning at verse 22 in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. You'll find the parallel version of this particular episode in the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, reflected in the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, chapter 8, verse 23 through 27. And then in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. But we'll be focusing primarily on Luke, chapter 8. Yesterday I had the pleasure of uh, uh, Jan and I and our family uh, joining the bulk of the rest of the Martin tribe and surrounding my dad and celebrating his 93rd birthday, uh, which he celebrated actually Thursday, but we had the big party yesterday, and he was really in his element with all the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren, and it was just a very fine time of celebration. And uh, this has been a big week for him because, being Veterans uh, Week, uh, Veterans Day, also, he had been selected as one of the Grand Marshals for the um, uh, Veterans Day Parade in Roxborough, as he was one of the few remaining World War II veterans. Uh, Unfortunately, because of some bronchitis, he was not able to actually ride the convertible and all that. But anyway, uh, it was an honor for him. But, you know, I remember uh, several years ago, well, in fact, it has been quite a few years ago when we were at the fish camp, I had coped my dad into coming on a Baptist Men's Day to share his testimony. I'd never heard him do that, and it took a little doing, but my dad's not one to like to get up in front of people and speak, but he did. And I remember when he was uh, sharing his testimony there that day, he told a story that he had never told me and my brothers and sisters, you know, before about his time in service, You see, he was enlisted into the army and was deployed uh, after training to Germany just as Germany was surrendering. So he was a part of the occupation forces going into Germany. And so he was involved in in, uh, releasing a lot of the prisoners of wars from those horrible concentration camps and escorting many of them from Poland back to Poland and and just horrific stories. But there again, and putting down skirmishes of resistance and that type of thing. But after a year of of tour in Germany, he was he was ready to come back home. And so he was in a, a, a big naval vessel. Uh, we have a Navy veteran, uh, 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 my next door neighbor uh, brother Howard Wallace is here and he's a decorated officer from the Navy and so Navy, I'm sure Howard understands better about this experience than I do, but my dad was in one of these big troop carrying vessels bringing him and other troops back from Germany back to the States and it was a convoy that was coming across the Atlantic and mind you this is before the days of, of uh, weather radar satellites and things like that. That. So along the way, as it gotten well underway, maybe about halfway across the Atlantic, he says one night the, the convoy was overtaken by well, just a, a horrific storm. He said it was something like a hurricane. And says, you know, it just that ship was rolling and tossing like a cork out on a, you know, a stormy uh, pond or something. And he says, he, uh, you know, that thing was hitting waves that took him straight up like going up a mountain. And then that big ship would come cascading down. And he says, you know, the latrines were full of men who were seasick. He was he was amazed he wasn't seasick because I don't think my dad had ever been in a boat. Uh, not, not even a John boat. Mind you, growing up on the farm and this is his first time going across the big pond. But he was talking about how ferocious that storm was. it got so bad at one point he said you know that the that the uh, ship's captains just said it was fruitless for them to try to continue to steam full ahead you know and so they just they just sat idle uh, because they were going to try to ride out the storm and all the ships were you know caught up in this thing and he says, you know they cleared the deck of all the Navy personnel because it was just getting so dangerous the winds were howling and the, and the storms are tossing and there they were. And he said they had instructed all the men to put on their life vest and, and told them not to lay down, that they all need to be sitting up, be ready, because lifeboats were ready. And, and, and he said to never forget, his sergeant came down to their or company and, and, and said to that group of men, says, men, I don't know how many of you are, are religious, but he says, I would encourage any of you who are to pray. He says, we're in dire straits right now, and we don't know if we're going to make it. And he says, if you're a praying man, you need to be praying. And Dad recounted how he, as a 20-year-old young man, knelt down with that life vest strapped on. He says, he told me, he says, I knew that life, that life vest was going to save me. He says, I knew those lifeboats out there in the middle of the Atlantic in a hurricane were not going to save me. He says, I knew there was only one hope for me and the rest of these guys. And he says, I got down on that hard floor by my cot and my life vest on. He said, I prayed. He said, I told God. I said, Lord, you know that I promised the little gal waiting on me back there in Roxburgh, North Carolina, that if I get back from this service, that we'll get married and we'll have us a farm and we'll raise us a bunch of kids, which they did, and we'll teach them all of how to grow up as Christians. And you know the rest of the story. Here I am today. But, uh, you know, my dad was wise enough to realize that in the ferocity of that storm that his only salvation was in the God who was very present with him that night. The same God that has been with him every step of the way all the 93 years of his life. And it's interesting because looking at the text that we're looking at this morning, we're going to examine how Jesus and his disciples encountered a horrible storm at sea. And this is a story that many of you are familiar with, and I thought it was so interesting, and I really appreciate how the worship God parallels the circumstances. Of course, the worship God, our responsive reading is Psalm 107, which is Old Testament, but it talks about God's men being out at sea and crying out to God in the midst of the storm and seeing God work divinely and powerfully to calm the storm. So this is not a new episode to many of you, but of what I want you to focus on, and I want us as, as, as Christians especially to understand, is that this whole concept of Emmanuel, and I thought again, in our Christian growth group where we're talking about the presence of God, and the eminence of God and, and, and God being in the in the midst of his people. And that is that is most most perfectly Demonstrated in this in, in the very birth of the Son of God. You may recall back in Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verse 21 through 23, when Joseph discovered that Mary was was pregnant, but he knew there was not his child, and he was contemplating divorcing her, putting her apart separately and, and, and quietly. And the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, Joseph, don't you? Be fearful. I'm paraphrasing. Don't worry. Because that child that she is carrying is is the result of the the Spirit of God that has come upon her. This is the Son of God. And and the angel quoted Isaiah 7.14 and says, And His name will be Emmanuel. God with us. And of course, Joseph heeded that message from God. And one of the great benefits of the Christian life at the very heart of the the gospel message itself is that very wonderful reality that we as believers in Jesus Christ know that by our faith and in our faith relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do we know that we have a God, not only do we know that He is the divine creator of all creation, Not only do we know that He is high and lifted up and holy and righteous, but we know that because of our faith in Jesus Christ, God is with us. Every day He is with us. And this is so wonderfully portrayed in this dramatic episode that we're looking at here today. And so, uh, you know, I think about how John described that in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, when he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was made flesh. The Word was God, and the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the glory of of the only begotten Son of God. And so as we consider the presence of Jesus with His disciples there, I want you to be reminded of this very fact. The Bible tells you and me as followers of Jesus Christ that our God is not only with us, but He will never leave us.
1: Did not the Lord
0: Himself say in Matthew 28 verse 20, Lo, I am with you, how long? Always, even to the end of the world. Did not the writer of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 tell us that the Lord says, I will never forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So you understand every day you and I have the benefit of knowing that wherever we go, whatever we face, that the Lord himself is with us. And so first of all, as we look at this, Episode in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as he's reminding his disciples through this lesson, this dramatic lesson, that God is with them. Jesus, Emmanuel, exhibits his divine authority over, first of all, the natural realm. He exhibits his divine authority over the natural realm. Look in verse 22. Now it happened. On a certain day, now Luke is kind of vague. He's not into the d- details of chronology as, as I pointed out. Now Mark in chapter 4, he would say uh, the same day. In other words, the same day that Jesus taught the parables, same day that Jesus did that, and that's the day that they loaded up in the boat. Luke just says on a certain day. They got into a boat with his disciples, probably one of the fishing vessels because of the fishermen present. And he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. Now that speaks of the humanity of Christ, doesn't it? Jesus was just like you and me. After a hard day work, you know, with lots of demands and stresses, you know, he was tired, he was worn out. And so as they're sailing along on the the, uh, Sea of Galilee, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in Jeopardy, my Bible says, in the New American Standard Version, it says that this was a fierce gale, not just a windstorm. This is a, a fierce gale. So I want us, first of all, as we look at that, at that and, and look at verse 24 with me, and they, the disciples, came to Him and awoke Him, saying, Master, Master. This is a term that they oftentimes use when they were in, in dire straits and in danger. Master, Master, we are perishing. Then He arose, Remind you, I mean, he was sleeping. He arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of this water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. First of all, consider the disciples' perilous predicament, as we just read there. The unusual intensity of this storm. As they were cruising along on the Sea of Galilee, it was not unusual, scientists tell us, because of the, the, the geography. So there was a geological explanation on one hand, because oftentimes in, in the region there, Mount Hermon, a high majestic mountain, there's cold, uh, the cold air would begin to settle and, and as it came down through the, the mountainous ravines and, and closed in valleys, it would become almost like a wind tunnel and it would begin to force that air, that cold air down and it came right out across those warm, balmy waters of the Sea of Galilee, which I remind you was about 680 feet below sea, uh, below sea level. So it was very warm air clashing with very cold air. So it wasn't unusual to be out on the Sea of Galilee and encounter a storm. But let me also offer a theological explanation as well. Because I believe even as Jesus was sleeping like a baby in the stern of that boat, He was orchestrating the development of not just a storm, but a storm as the New American Standard Version says, a fierce gale that was so threatening to these seasoned fishermen that they feared for their life as the water began to cascade over the sides of that boat. And they did the only thing that they could naturally do, and that was to turn to the Lord. And they cried to Him, Help, help, we're perishing. And so as we consider their predicament, I also consider that they gave evidence of what was a a lack of faith and a lack of knowledge. Had Had they genuinely known who it was that was in the boat with them? If they had fully wrapped their minds around the concept of Emmanuel, that it was not only their master, their teacher, but this was God. Was He not? The Son of God, as Colossians 2.9 says, fully God, fully man, and, 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 and all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him. And so, as, as one old black preacher said, hey, there's not enough water in the ocean to drown the Son of God. Had they simply realized by faith, and by faith recognizing that this indeed was the Son of God, they would not have panicked But let's not be too hard on them because we have the benefit of having the whole, complete, uh, inspired Word of God. We know things they didn't know, revelations that they didn't have. And yet, sometimes don't we panic? Sometimes don't we get extremely distraught, even though we know that the Lord is with us? So, in contrast to the disciples' perilous predicament, would you consider also the Lord's powerful demonstration? I like it. It says as they came to Him and awoke Him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. They'd already consigned themselves to the fact they were going to die. But it's interesting, they turned to Jesus. Then He arose. Can you imagine me waking up from a deep sleep, resting good, somebody yelling in your ear, I'm going to die! I'm going to die! Wake up! And then you wake up, He wakes up and there's a wind howling, you know, ripping around, you know, and the waves crashing over the boat. You know, and Jesus didn't say, you know, you know somebody hit at the bow. Somebody grab the stern. Somebody put up a seat, you know, It says that He simply rebuked. He arose and rebuked the wind and the raging water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. You see, when He talks about the Lord rebuking, He's talking directly to the wind. He's talking directly to the waves. I remember going, yeah, you know, visiting in people's homes, going to people's houses as a social worker, then as a preacher, yeah. You know, and, 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 yeah, I love dogs, I'm a dog lover. But you know, sometimes, you know, a menacing dog come out of the house, you know, uh, from around the house, you know, and either woof, 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 you know, or yik, yik, you know, and they say barking, barking incessantly, you know, and I, you know, it's making a racket, it's drawing attention, you know, and I'm trying to say, shh, shh now Fluffy or whatever your name is, calm down, you know, be quiet, be quiet, you know, yik, 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 you know, and finally, the owner walks out of the house, you know, they'll say, Red, shut your mouth. Same dog, Just like that. He goes behind his, between his legs. He just scampers under, under the house, around the house, or in the room. And it's just like that. That's the same expression there. When Jesus sat up, saw the storm going on, He just looked at the wind and said, Be quiet! Wait, shut up! Be still! And He wasn't... Scholars tell us it wasn't a gradual calming down. Kind of like when the severe storm moves through. You know, it kind of geezes down, eases down. Oh no, no. The way it's described here, when Jesus spoke, the waves responded, the wind responded immediately. it was The, the water was just as smooth as a glass. Not even a breeze to blow a hair out of place. Why? Ah! Jesus used the incident... Of that storm to demonstrate to his disciples, boys, do you know who's in the boat with you? (laughs) Well, they've seen him heal sick people, cast out demons. Why? They've even seen him raise the dead. And you'll see the response of the disciples there in verse 25. But they said to to him, Where is your he said to them, Where's your faith? He pointed to the problem. You got a faith failure, boys. You, you got faith, but it's weak. Your faith is not strong enough so that you could have left me sleeping through the storm and knowing that Jesus was always still in control. And it says they were afraid. They, and that's the typical response of people when they sense they're in the presence of divinity. And they were afraid, in verse 25, and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For He commands even the winds and water, and they obey Him. Peter, James, John, Andrew, the fishermen in the boat were saying, Guys, we've never seen that happen. Sure would have been handy sometimes when we are out here fishing. Suddenly their eyes are being opened You say, well, Pastor, I don't intend to get out on the ocean in a boat. Might take a cruise, but I'm not worried about that. But you know, James chapter 1, verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, both of those men, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, reminded you and me that we shouldn't be alarmed when we find ourselves going through stormy times. They both said, don't be alarmed. In fact, James says, count it a joy when those trials in your life come up. And Peter would go on to say in 1 Peter 4.12, when the fiery trials come into your life, when the storms of life come, and they will, It's not a matter of if you're going to encounter the stormy times in your life, brothers and sisters, you will. It's a matter of when they come and when they roll in in your life and begin to disrupt everything and when you become threatened by them. Listen, do you know who's in the boat with you? Who is this Jesus Christ to you? Emmanuel, God with us. Well, we move on. Jesus is not finished teaching his disciples. You see, he's been teaching them through some powerful, wonderful lessons and mysteries through parables and the teachings about the kingdom of God in the in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's he's demonstrated his 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 divinity, his deity, if you will, in in his teaching. Things that men had never taught with authority like men had never taught. So he's been revealing that. But now he's demonstrating. And he's just demonstrated that out on the open sea, but now they're getting ready to land on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, opposite of Galilee. In verse 26, we'll pick up there. Because I want you to see again, Emmanuel, don't lose sight of the fact that this is God with them. Emmanuel exhibits his divine authority not only over the natural realm, but we're going to see right here in this text how he exhibits his authority over the spiritual realm as well. And you might pay attention. I know sometimes we sophisticated modern Christians try to somehow discount the presence of Satan and demons. In fact, there are some liberal churches out there that just simply flat out say there is no devil and there are no demons. And I say, God help them. God help them. You're talking about a vulnerable bunch of people. Mm. In verse 26, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes. And in Matthew's Gospel, he says, Gergazines, same region which is opposite of Galilee and when he stepped out on the land there he met a certain man and again I would remind you that in Matthew's gospel chapter 8 he speaks of two men and this is not a contradiction Jesus, uh, I mean Mark and Luke choose to focus on the one man that Jesus is specifically addressing out of the two a certain man From the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes. Nor did he live in a house but in the tombs. you got to get a sense of the desperateness of this man. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And with a loud voice he said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Verse 29, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Now, just pause there for a second. You understand the the, the havoc that this, this demon or we'll find out demons was was... Created in this man's life because of the presence of the demons and they had taken over this man's mind, his spirit, his body. He was a raging wild man. So much so that he wouldn't even wear clothes like an animal running around. He couldn't even stay in a house. He lived in the tombs. No respectable Jew would have ever hung out in the tombs because that made them ceremonially unclean. He had no regard for ceremonial or religious laws or rituals. And I believe these demons gave him supernatural power when needed. He was bound with chains, but not only that, bonds as if like braces to hold him made of metal. And he broke them! And he ran out into the wilderness. And you can just imagine this man out there like a wild animal running naked among the tombs, living and sleeping in those empty tombs amongst the dead. And he's howling like a wolf. And he's a madman. In verse 30, we pick up. Jesus asked him. Now mind you, Luke has already told us. Jesus has already said, demons, you're coming out. (laughs) Okay? So so we, we see... The first thing that occurs here is the, that Jesus' exhibition of divine authority it results in the displacement, first of all, of the demons. Let's read on. Jesus asked him in verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? Now that's interesting. Do you think Jesus knew the names of the demons? Sure, sure He did. Jesus is wanting the man to hear. And so the demons are doing everything that Jesus orders them to do because His authority trumps them. And He said, the demon replies, legion. A legion of Roman soldiers was something between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers, foot soldiers. So we're not talking about a couple of demons. You're not talking about a handful of demons. Well, we'll find out in just a little bit just how many. Okay? And so he says, legion, because many demons had entered him. And they they now all the demons together, verse 31, and they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. You may recall when I was preaching through First Peter and I was talking about in First Peter 3, 19. And, and then again in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 and even in Jude chapter 6 it talks about a certain class of, of demons, fallen angels going all the way back to Genesis 6 when there was a group of fallen angels who possessed the bodies of men and they they had intercourse with the Daughters of man, and produced some very interesting diabolical offspring, and that were stepping beyond the limits of God, and God condemned these demons into what was called by First, Second Peter, and Jude into the abyss, a holding place, a, a pit in the depths, and they are in bondage, and they will be there until the day that Jesus comes. And His second glory is coming and He brings the final judgment. And at that time, they'll be freed and cast into the eternal lake of fire. These demons are thinking, oh no! <laughs> we, we've got the Son of God here! Nobody told us He was going to show up today! And now that He's right here in front of us, He's going to probably cast us down into the abyss. We won't be able to run free and torment people anymore! And so they begged Him not to... Send them into the abyss. Verse 32 Now a herd of many swine were feeding there on the mountain. And I believe it's in Mark's gospel, he qualifies in chapter 4, it was 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of, that's a lot of pigs. Anyway, now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, and they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And He permitted them. That's interesting. You say, why didn't He just cast them down into the, the abyss? Dirty rascals. But you see, Jesus still had a plan. And it, it unfolds even beyond this. Jesus says, gave him permission to, to flee from the man and occupy the 2,000 pigs. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place and into the lake and drowned. That's, they weren't counting on that. They were thinking the pigs would continue to be pigs, but now they're um, well, they're dead. I, I couldn't help but think about all that all that tenderloin going down. <laughs> <laughs> My goodness! But anyway, <laughs> so so Jesus's exhibition of his divine authority resulted in all the demons being cast out, displaced from. Isn't it interesting though? Isn't it interesting that the minute that Jesus steps out of the boat, this deranged man, under the power of these demons, came to him and they knew exactly who he was. What do you have to do with us, son Jesus, son of the most high God? They knew exactly who he was. They not only knew his identity, they knew his ability. He could have cast them into the the abyss, but He chose not to. And so, isn't that interesting? Whereas His disciples had not yet fully come to that point of realization and understanding. And did you notice all the way through this episode, not one time is Jesus subject to the demons. Not one time does He have to ask them to do anything every step of the way, they are absolutely under the total authority of the Lord. I say that to you and me, and you say, because, but, but I don't, I'm not demon-possessed. I don't know anybody demon-possessed. Don't, don't forget what the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, "...we do not war against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age." Against spiritual beings in heavenly places. He says, we are at war against spiritual beings. They are very real. They are still at work. They are still trying to possess people and control people. And they will continue to try to torment believers if possible. But I want you to look further because Jesus' exhibition of His divine authority over the spiritual realm not only resulted in the displacement of the demons, but it resulted in the deliverance of the demented. Look with me at verse 34. When those who fed them, the 2,000 pigs, saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. They were telling everybody Then, verse 35, "...they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus." Folks, don't miss the stark contrast between the man we see now and the man just previous that greeted Jesus and the disciples when they stepped out of the boat. Here he is as placid as a lamb sitting at the feet of Jesus. Subjecting himself to this very one who was a stranger to him maybe just a matter of hours ago. Sitting there at the feet of Jesus, clothed, that's a big improvement, (laughs) and in his right mind. Talking sensibly. What a transformation! Folks, Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. He's in the business of changing people. And he had the power to not only deliver the demons out of this man, but he had the power to return him to a sense of normalcy and gave him a sense of sense. And all the people from the town that came out to see this, it says at the end of verse 35, and they were afraid, Although. And that term actually means they were in extreme fear. They were terrified. Now I don't know about you. Let's just pause for just a second. If somebody came into the town and rehabilitated a man that had been tormenting the town, terrorizing everybody, embarrassing everybody to no end because of his nakedness and behavior, and suddenly this, this stranger comes and delivers them and transforms them? I don't know about you, but I would have been at the front of the line shaking his hands. Thank you, Mr. Jesus. Thank you. You don't know what a pleasure this is. Oh, you don't know what a big help this is to our community. Oh, no. They were afraid because, you see, they sensed they were in the presence of divine power. And there is a reason behind their their fear. In verse 36, they also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon possessed was healed. In other words, the pig herders told them exactly how it all happened, how Jesus ordered the demons out and how this man was delivered and the pigs got possessed and committed harikari or whatever off the cliff into the sea. Verse 37. Before you look at verse 37, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think in the midst of a whole community that something as divine and wonderful and supernatural as this happening that would return some normalcy to the community, that there would be a great spiritual awakening breaking out? Hallelujah. They just praised the Lord all night. They constructed a church. They all became Christians and committed to follow the Lord. Verse 37. Then the whole multitude. That's everybody except the man that got delivered from the demons, folks. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding regions of the Gadarenes asked Him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. We don't want anything to do with you. We like our lives. We enjoyed our filthy pigs even though I wonder what they had pigs for because Jews were forbidden from eating pork by now. That's another sermon. But but you've disrupted things. Oh, no. Mr. Jesus, why why don't you just get back in your boat and go back to where you came from? Oh, I can see the anger building up in the Son of God and His disciples, particularly James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder. I can see that. Oh, boy, they're ready. It says, stand back. We're going to bring fire down from heaven. We're going to roast these people. We're going to, I'm going to preach a powerful sermon. I'm going to get them on their knees under conviction. In verse 37, and he got into the boat and returned. No arguments, no pleas of justification, no attempts to explain. Okay. See, Jesus knew the condition of their heart. What a stark contrast. The man became a believer. The man that was delivered. And the whole rest of the population turned their back on Jesus. Or shall I say, caused Jesus to turn His back on them. Wow! Wow! So we've seen the weak faith of the disciples exhibited out at sea. They had faith, but it just wasn't strong enough. And now I want you to see the strong faith of this man who was just delivered from his demented, tormented condition. Because it talks about him sitting at Jesus' feet. He's adoring the Lord at this time. And look at verse 38 as Jesus and the disciples are getting ready to load back up on the boat. The man's probably the quickly... well, he didn't have any clothes to pack. I guess he just had what was on his back. But anyway, he's, it says in verse 38: now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him. Begged him so he might be with him. Jesus, I gotta go with you. You, you saved me. You've given me life. I was a dead man. I was a, a tormented man. I didn't have life. I was living in darkness. There was no purpose to my life. Jesus, You are my life. You are my everything. Let me go with You. I'll be one of the most boldly bold preachers that You have. I'll be one of the most faithful witnesses You've got. I'll be a great evangelist for You you have thought Jesus said, well, you know what? He's got better faith than my disciples. He knows who, exactly who I am. Come on, boy. No. Jesus made him one of the first evangelistic missionaries of His ministry. Because it says at the end of verse 38, but Jesus sent him away. Didn't just say, get out of my way. No, no. Don't miss verse 39. He told the man, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. Any of you have trouble sharing the Gospel? Any of you have trouble sharing the truth of God's Word with people to, to, to share with them about how they can come to be saved? Here's a great clue right here. Start with your story. Jesus didn't say, now go back and preach to them Moses on all the, all the way through you know, the New Testament. No. Jesus didn't say you got to, you got to be able to quote the scripture. You don't need to re- recite the law. No, He says go back and tell the people that you know, because they will see the traumatic change that has come over you, the dramatic change that's come over you. Go back and just tell them what I have done for you. And that is one of the greatest points to start with in sharing your a uh, witness into someone. Just to share your story. Do you remember? Do you remember what, what it was that Jesus saved you from? Can you still recall what it was that the Son of God Emmanuel did for you and dramatically transformed you?
1: Oh folks, don't ever,
0: don't ever forget. Remember so you can tell others how you were living at one time. Maybe not demon possessed, not running around naked. I hope not, but anyway. You know, but you can see I was going through life. There was no purpose. There was no hope. I was a sinner. I was an enemy of God. I was headed towards the fires of hell for eternity. Helpless and helpless on my own. But then God sent someone to share with me or I heard a message of the Gospel of the great love of God and, and how His Son came to die on this cross to pay the price for my sins and I chose by the, by, by the movement of the Spirit of God to, to commit my life to follow Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive me of my sins. And I committed to follow Him and now I'm a brand new person. Well, as we close... I'll take you back to verse 37. Because not only did Jesus' exhibition of divine authority over the spiritual realm result in the displacement of demons and result in the deliverance of the the demented, but it resulted in the doom of the deceived. Because when they asked Him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear and Jesus complied and got in the boat, no arguments, and they saw Him and His disciples sailing back across the sea, chances are this was the last time, the last time that the Son of God would walk in their midst. And do you understand? Not only were they having to continue in their life of separation, but they were continuing to live, as Colossians 1, 21, 22 tells us, they were having to continue to live as enemies of God. They were so slowly moving forward towards a day of judgment in which their souls could be condemned to the fiery pits of hell for eternity. And if that wasn't bad enough, folks, do you know? I told you there was a reason why Jesus didn't choose to cast the demons into the abyss, lock them up. Because when those pigs died, the demons didn't die. They all rose up out of the water and they said, All 2,000 of them said, (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. Out of this whole population, Jesus only got one. Look Look at the harvest, boys. Look at the feast, boys. Let's go to town and let's start possessing some people and let's start tormenting some lives. And those people probably lived under subjection to the tormenting powers of demons for the rest of their lives. All because... They missed an opportunity to see that Emmanuel was in their very presence. And they said, No, let me ask you, are you a person of strong faith? Can you ride through the storms of life? And yeah, you'll be affected by them, no doubt about it. But do you panic as if there's no hope for you? Or does your strong faith say, I don't have to worry? The Lord's with me. I don't care how bad it gets, or whatever the diagnosis is, or whatever the financial situation is, or whatever the social situation, or whatever the nation is doing. I don't have to worry because the Lord is with me in this storm. And He promised me He would never leave me nor forsake me. Do you have strong faith? Or maybe you're here this morning and you have weak faith. Oh, you got faith, you believe. But your cage really gets rattled. You're almost at the point of having a nervous breakdown when things fall apart. There's hope for you, folks. There's hope for you. (laughs) How do I know that? Because there was Peter, James, John, Andrew. I could go on, all 11 of them. And look what happened as a result of the Lord, possessing them by the Spirit of God, they became men of strong faith who turned the world upside down for the sake of the Gospel. There's hope for the weak of faith. But will God help, those who have no faith, who hear the Gospel, who see the evidence of the presence of God all around them, they see the truth of the Word of God, and they're so comfortable with their fleshly, sinful, worldly, materialistic, humanistic life that they'll say to Jesus, oh, you don't, don't come any closer. You'll upset my, well, pleasurable, comfortable life. I pray to God there's no one in hearing my voice today that has no faith. But you know what? There's even hope for those because you see, everybody started at that point. Everybody started as a lost person who did not have faith, did not know Jesus Christ, and yet the Spirit of God can beckon. Don't you ever give up on a brother or sister, or a relative I mean, or a neighbor or a co-worker who exhibits no faith and just say, write them off. You keep praying for them. I don't care how many times they may say, well, you know, that may work for you, that's fine, but I don't want to hear more. You keep praying for them because you don't know how God might still be able to reach them. There's nobody that's unreachable by the Spirit of God. We're not the judge. We don't determine who gets saved and who doesn't, but we simply lift them up to God because God can transform that no faith at least into a weak faith and subsequently to a strong faith. Are you living with the awareness of Emmanuel? Are you conscious of the presence of the living God with you every day, everywhere you go, and with everything you face? It's a fact, folks. The Bible tells us so. I'm going to ask Amy if she would please come to the piano and just play whatever the Lord may put on your heart so that we can have just a couple minutes to reflect of what God has said through this message this morning. And as Amy plays, I would encourage you, if you are a person who is confident that your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is strong, oh, I would, I would simply pray that you would ask the Lord to maintain the strength of your faith and, and to protect you from pride lest you think that somehow you don't need to mingle with those who are weak faith or no faith, they need you. They need your encouragement. They need your prayers. They need your witness. And, and as Amy is playing, for those who might say, well, you know, my faith is really kind of like the disciples. It's kind of weak. I've lost sight sometimes of just of the powerful reality that, that God is with me. I want to ask the Lord today to help me strengthen my faith. If perchance there's anyone here today who is walking through this life, storms and all, without faith. Realize that the Bible says in Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You can ask the Lord. If you feel His Spirit nudging your heart, convicting your heart, that's a good sign. Because He can give you faith. Faith to believe that first of all you are a sinner separated lost and undone but still a sinner headed towards sure judgment for eternity. But faith to believe that the God of the universe is a God of love and grace and mercy. And He's reaching out to you to give you the faith that might result in your trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and committing to follow Him for the rest of your life and be saved and to become a part of the eternal family of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, not not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. I'll ask that all of us just stand to our feet as we prepare to close. And if you've made a decision today that you want pastoral assistance and support, you see Pastor Mark, see me. We'll be more than happy to commit to pray with you, counsel with you, help you in any way we can that you might be where God wants you to be. And so. Let God do the work that He wants to do in your life and in my life for His glory. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truthfulness of Your Word, for the presence and the power of Your Holy Spirit. And we thank You, Father. Oh, we thank You for the person of Your Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, our blessed Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, And we pray, Lord, that you will continue to reach out to each of us and draw us and guide us in the way that you would have us to go. And we'll thank you and give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.